good day to be indigenous. Get up, stand up. They are going to become more brutal. Because all the hippies were trying to be Indians anyway. They're going to become more repressive because it's a matter of dollars and their illusionary concepts of power. Hey, Victor. We must live in balance with the earth. And also with recent happenings at Wounded Knee. I am awake. Welcome to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Wakanja Hade. Hey, welcome back to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by St. Paul Public Schools, giving out signing bonuses. Check them out at spps.org. Hey, right on, Haley. Uh, my, I used to teach high school and uh, back in the day. And then we also have State Senator Mary Kunish, who was also an educator in school before she retired recently, too. Hey, thanks a lot for stopping in. It's our Friday show with... Uh, State Senator Mary Kunish, welcome. Well, Matakiyape, uh, hello, my relatives. Good to be here with you on this sweltering hot Friday afternoon. Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, it's always great to see you and always great to talk to you. Great positive energy. Um, and we just had a, a great session this past year and things are looking good. We are worried a little bit about this global warming stuff, and the scientists are saying on the news, you know, that the, all this heat is definitely has something to do with it. So, you know, we got to really start talking more about that and do something about it. But it's great to have you on. And uh, so you uh, are like on vacation mode, but really not because you're doing a lot of traveling and all these things. Uh, what's going on, State Senator? Well, this was um, this was kind of a fun week because for one day I spent visiting um, farms across Minnesota, went down to Granite Falls and saw this uh, wonderful, wonderful family farm that had been in the family for four generations. And it was a, a century farm. So the wow. family had had it for well over 100 years. Um, a really great couple, uh, Tim and Connie Valde shared you know the history of their their farm and then um you know really demonstrated what incredibly good stewards they are of the lands that they that they farm and using really good practices one thing i did not know is that soybeans produce twice as much nitrogen as they need and so when they're growing in the fields, not only are they taking the nitrogen they need to produce soybeans, but they also leave a ton of nitrogen in the in the ground. And interesting enough, corn needs a lot of nitrogen uh, to grow. So talking about how they um, how they flip the different crops in different fields and then like the precision farming that they have uh, with their machinery and that sort of thing. It was fascinating. And I asked him about um, the global warming and about the heat this year and what kind of an effect that has on him his farm, especially when we hear about, um, you know, some of the the aquifers getting dried up and farms needing more and more Mm. water to water their um, their crops. He said down in southern and west kind of west southern Minnesota, uh, there's a it's really good clay. And Mm. so it holds the moisture so they don't have to aerate. They don't have to, um, you know, they don't have those big watering uh, apparatus out there. Their their um their soil holds the water really well, wow. uh, so I learned a heck of a lot uh, from these folks. And um, unfortunately, yesterday I didn't make it onto a um, a forum for for uh, um, uh, tribal nutrition and agriculture, but um, uh, one of our um, one of the people that was that did attend um, shared her notes with me, and um, Ben Jacobs was on the the panel. Um, he's uh, uh, Takabi from um, the Osage Nation, and Sean Sherman was there, the sous chef, to talk about that. Neely Snyder from Dream of Wild Health, 
Shannon Kessner, who is um, the tribal liaison for Minnesota Agri uh, Department of Agriculture. And um, uh, this young woman that was that that sent me this, her name is um, Kirsten Busher, and she works with uh, Senator Smith's office. Hmm. And uh, she was there as well. And one of the things that, and I don't know if people know this, but there's been a lot of consternation about the farm bill uh, that the the federal government is uh, has not passed yet. And it's making farmers really, really nervous. And it's really important for our tribal nations and our native communities as well, because um, Within the farm bill, the federal farm bill, there are opportunities to address some of the longstanding systemic inequities in the agriculture and nutrition sector that affects so many of our Native families. And we all know uh, the poor health that generations have had, especially when they were receiving all those commodity foods that were no good for Indian folks. And so it's just really super important that um, as we go forward, we're investing um, in uh, uh, native farms as well. So there's there's uh, there are organizations like the Native Farm Bill Coalition. There are tribal leaders from across the nation that are working with the Indian Affairs Committee and the Agricultural Committee. Um, because they really, really recognize the, the um, need for this in Indian country. And so um, Senator Smith and her office has been working with the Indian Affairs Committee to push some of her priorities like self-governance, um, expansion in USDA, including the Office of Self-Governance to administer the programs because oftentimes the dollars are there but some other agency is in charge of the money, and that makes it difficult. Mm. Um, she wants to ensure that there's better engagement with the tribes throughout USDA, and that's the United States Department of Agriculture. And, you know, how can we improve those USA, USDA programs? My sister Patrice, who we have um, referred to in a number of different ways, used to work for the USDA uh, under the Obama administration. So I got to hear a lot from her and learn a lot from her, too. But so we're working on it from the state level as well as from the federal level. Um, and, you know, when we look at, you know, what we're putting in our mouth as Indigenous people and how we are um, feeding our hearts and our souls and our bodies and our minds. Um, right. Agriculture is really so important. Well, and I'm glad, too, you as being a Democratic state senator to reach out to farmers because it is the DFL, the D Democratic Farmer Labor Union, and it's been a longstanding thing. And I think uh, reaching out is a good thing as a Democrat because a lot of times, and, you know, this could be controversial that I'm saying this, but a lot of times the farmers vote against their own interests because you, whether it's they haven't seen a Democrat in a while or, or what, but it's great to, that you were out there. Yeah. Um, next week is Farm Fest, which is an annual event here in Minnesota. Uh, but I know that farmers and our egg people have felt somewhat left out, in, especially in the last few years with all the social injustice and the issues uh, in our metro areas. And um, I have served on the egg committees, both when I was in the House and now in the Senate. I, I, I'm just fascinated and I I. I really do love agriculture and farms. And so um, we are getting out to as many farms as we can and listening to some of the other organizations and businesses that work with the farmers to see how we can better support them and, and looking at those um, family farms as well as how we can encourage and support um, new farmers, young farmers to come back and, and work on those family farms because it's a lot of work. It's, it, there's just, it's a lot of money to run a farm. It's a lot of work, but with the right kind of support, um, I would like to see more of our indigenous folks doing that as well as, as other people that are really interested in um, farming in Minnesota. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Right on. Hey, we're here with State Senator Mary Kunish, and we're going to take a quick short break here and uh, just have another uh, another conversation uh, about what's going on here in the state of Minnesota and all over Turtle Island. You're listening to Native Ritz Radio Presents I'm Awake, and we'll be right back after this short break. 
Hey, Olgama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. Your neighbors are talking about the Blue Line Extension, connecting North Minneapolis, Crystal, Robbinsdale, and Brooklyn Park to the light rail transit system. The Blue Line allows us to actually connect people in real time to this community. Instead of bypassing it, they're going to stop and shop. They're going to stop and play. They're going to stop and work. Blue Line is a connector. Hear more of this story and others at yourblueline.org. Unwanted sexting or photos, inappropriate jokes, even tickling or wrestling can feel like a violation. Catcalling, cornering, or groping, getting them drunk or high for sex, recording sexual acts without permission, hurting someone because of their sexual orientation, ripping a family member, a child, a date, a friend, a stranger, purchasing a human being for sex. You make the choice every single time. Sexual violence is many things. Make a choice. Do not do it. Sponsored by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Turn to Auto-Technical with your vehicle donation. Even though Auto-Technical is a small nonprofit, we have helped more families with transportation than any organization in Minnesota. Since 94, we have reconditioned donated vehicles so they have a higher tax benefit. Call Richard at 612-919-5526. 612-919-5526. Or autotech.org. You're listening to Native Roots Radio. This is Spirit from Reservation Dogs. Get up and listen. Welcome back to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake and this is Robert Pilot. Hey, welcome back to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake. This portion of the show is supported by the Native American Community Clinic on Franklin Avenue in Minneapolis, honoring health and tradition. Yes, they do. And hey, I always like to say, uh, at least in one show, that I'm woke. You know, we named the show six years ago, Native Ritz Radio Presents I'm Awake. And we were awake with what was going on in Standing Rock and all over Turtle Island. And that's how the show started. Hey, we're here with State Senator Mary Kunish. And we're just kind of kibitzing. I don't know if you saw uh, State Senator, but uh, Haley and I did a show live at the Twin Stadium, and it was really fun on Native American Heritage uh, Month this past uh, Tuesday, I believe. Oh, fun. Yeah. I, was- I saw lots of good pictures from that. I haven't been to a Twins game yet. Well, we'll have to get you out there. And just a quick uh, quick reminder, we have Native Roots Arts out there at the Creative Corner where you can pick up some Wild rice, silver earrings, uh, baseball earrings that are beaded and uh, art and cards and uh, all native designed and native made. Nice. Throw that in there. (laughs) So what else is going on, State Senator? Uh, We uh, are winding down here. We know it's hot. Uh, and but you're still doing I guess you're doing a lot of a lot of work here even though you're not in session you're doing a lot of different things and visiting your constituents and yeah and all that you were talking earlier before we went on the air something about Beltrami and what what's going on up there mm. yeah that is that's really interesting um here in Minnesota in our one of our counties Beltrami County um they uh the tribes have been trying to retrieve some of the sacred artifacts that um belong to that community and uh apparently the Beltrami County Historical Society um is is in favor of doing that um so many of the tribal artifacts and and you know sacred items that um, people come across in the past or even now are are um, you know collected 
and people are keeping them. I was at a I was at a fundraiser a couple of years ago, and it was a non-native fundraiser, and somebody had you know one of the big beaded um, uh, circles with the bear on it. And they were putting it up for the silent auction. And I asked, you know, where did this come from? And this woman said, oh, I bought it somewhere and I kept it on display. I have this little Native American display in my my cabinet and I don't want it anymore. So I just thought I'd put it up here. Well, I, I bought it just <laughs> to make sure that, you know, it wasn't used as decor once again. Um, but, um, you know, there's a whole bunch of artifacts that are um, have been uh, taken in, in, in Minnesota. One of our colleges um, here in the Twin Cities, Hamlin University, has quite a bit. And they are not, um, they have not been prone to returning those items as they should. Many bones and skulls and, and those sort of things remains from Indians um, that they keep. But there's a collection there was, uh, that of items. It's called the John Morrison Collection. And there are many culturally sen- uh, significant and sensitive artifacts that should be repatriated uh, back to the indigenous communities where, where they are from. And so at the uh, museum, um, uh, I think the director's name is Emily Tabes. Um, she is the director up there, and um, she's willing to work on getting those back to um, the, 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 the tribes that they belong to. So there's the Great Northern Depot in Bemidji, Minnesota, and that was built by James J. Hall uh, Hill, um, you know, over 110 years ago, and now it's their history center. Wow. And um, a few years ago, the First Nation tribe in Canada sent a historical society letter um inquiring, asking about a ceremonial water drum that they knew that the museum was holding. Hmm. And they no longer had that artifact. So you wonder, well, where did it go? Um, But as a result, the staff had to kind of look through what they had and what what was in this John Morrison collection. I think there were about 2,000 artifacts from all different tribes throughout the U.S. and Canada. And there's also a number of Red Lake artifacts um, up there. And when Morrison died, he, in his will, he said, I'm giving it to the Historical Society, but it has to be kept together. Hmm. Um, He had a trading post up on Red Lake. And so they said that, you know, oftentimes he would, it was almost like a pawn shop where people would bring in items and say, you know, can you hold on to this and let me get some food or whatever it is. Um, so he had quite a bit of, of items. Uh, and so, uh, they're working on getting those items back into the, the tribe, the hands of the tribe. And uh, many of those items now, when you look at it, are, um, are actually protected items right. under the, um, uh, NAGPRA, the Native American Graves Protection and Reparation Act. And so that's, that's, you know, that's, I mean, super, that's that happening. That's super interesting, and it made me think of something. Uh, when we we're younger, uh, we're roughly the same age. When we were younger, I know antique stores sold a lot of crazy stuff. And I uh, make a long story short: a friend of mine's father passed away. Uh, it was a bike accident. It was kind of a famous thing. But he had an antique store, and they wanted to get rid of the stuff. And there was stuff in the basement, like scalps. There, mm. there was all these things and I said, well, give it back to the tribe, you know, and let them, you know, ceremonial do what they're going to do with it. And they were like really confused on what doing it, but they weren't selling it anymore, but he still had it. And he had that, mm-hmm. I guess the antique store was like 40, 30, 40 years old. And it's amazing that, that that stuff is out there all over the place, whether it's collections or in the basement of somebody's house or a business. Well, that's so interesting that you say that because um, um, another thing I did this week was went and visited the Penembra Theater. Are you familiar with that? Sure am. 
yeah, it's American this theater real- in um, what it on Martin Luther King Drive up here in St. Paul. Yep. Yep. Um, it's just a great little place here in the Rondo neighborhood. Um, and, and for those of you who are listening in St. Paul, near the Capitol and the, and the downtown and the cathedral, there was this, um, area that was predominantly African American neighborhoods, um, where they had their businesses and their community. And, um, when they put the Interstate 94, they put it right through the community, split it, you know, right down the middle and in, in a lot of ways destroyed that whole community. But the Penembra Theater is still there. And um, I was at a meeting there a couple of weeks ago, and I remembered somebody telling me that within the artifacts of that theater were they had some Native American artifacts, um, like pictures and film from back in the day, because that was also a very large Native American neighborhood. And in fact, my grandfather, when he and my grandmother and his siblings came from um, the Standing Rock Reservation in the uh, early 20s, um, that's where they lived. Yeah. And there were there were powwows in the auditoriums and and places downtown St. Paul, and what, there was a woman who told me that the Penembra had a number of items, you know, pictures. So long story short, um, I had a meeting there and met with the archivist there, and she found a couple of photographs, but said that she would continue to look and see. I think it would be fascinating to find though, you know, that historical um, uh, pictures or film. And the one woman who told me that they had um, said that there was a film about a powwow at -hmm. one of the big places, downtown St. Paul. Mm -hmm. And I just always wondered what if I saw my grandpa on that one, you know, (laughs) Well, you know, go back seriously about that. It's it's really interesting because, uh, you know, my other job is a legislator. That's my full-time job for Ho-Chunk Nation. I don't really talk a lot about that, but I've had some people reach out to me in the nation, especially with Rondo being revitalized and maybe having that that bridge over, uh, you know, that mm-hmm. they're talking about. Is yeah. That there was a lot of Ho-Chunks living down there uh, during the day, too. So that's really interesting that you brought it up that your family was living there, too. Yeah. I mean, I, I we've identified um, three places that still pl- houses that are still standing. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, four that um, that my grandfather and his family lived in. And interesting enough. When my daughter came back, one of my daughters came back from Chicago and rented a an apartment over in that area in an old building. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't until she was actually moving out, and I said, "Hey, like, what is the address there?" And she gave me the address, and I thought, "Oh my gosh, that address sounds familiar." And I asked my brother, who's our genealogist. Turns out she was living in the same building that my grandpa lived in for about three years. We don't know what the apartment number of my grandpa was, but um, what a strange coincidence, eh? Wow, that's something yeah. I really need to talk about uh, off the off the air there because that's really interesting. Yeah, hey, you know what we're going to do, State Senator? We're going to jump in and talk to to Wendy here with her sacred animal section, and then we're going to come back to you. So you're listening to Native Ritz Radio presents. I'm awake and uh, we're still trucking here. We'll be right back after this short break. JNS Bean Factory is a native-owned, community-supported, cozy, artsy coffee shop which offers roasted on-site beans, live music, and baked goods. Relax in the beautiful outside patio. City Pages writes, voted top 10 coffee shops. Tucked into a quiet corner of St. Paul's Highland Park neighborhood, this coffee shop roasts beans on-site from the best coffee-growing countries in the world. Located at 1518 Randolph Avenue, St. Paul. The good stuff. 
Minnesota has the only original wolf population in the continental United States. And 80% of Minnesotans believe the wolf should be protected. Howling for Wolves is asking Minnesotans to respect our true wildlife manager, the wolf. Their survival is critical to our ecosystems, our communities, and even our economy. As highly intelligent animals with strong social bonds, Minnesota wolves deserve to be protected and admired. Learn more at howlingforwolves.org. Let's Let's live and and let howl. Minnesotans age 65 plus might qualify for Health Partners Minnesota Senior Health Options. The plan includes personal support, coverage for medical prescription drugs and dental, plus over 30 extra benefits. Eligibility information is available at healthpartners.com slash one plan. Health Partners is a health plan that contracts with both Medicare and the Minnesota Medical Assistance Medicaid program to provide benefits of both programs to enrollees. Enrollment in Health Partners depends on contract renewal. Hi, Matt McNeil for Rudy Luther Toyota. You've heard me talk about the Rudy Luther Toyota We Buy program. Now hear from someone who's actually done it, me. Our kid's car, the 2006 Toyota Sienna, served us well for 17 years, but it was finally time to say goodbye. The We Buy program is really simple. I gave them some basic information. We set up an appointment, and after a quick verification, they gave me an estimate and a check, and they made me a generous offer. It was that fast. See for yourself. Try the Rudy Luther Toyota We Buy program at RudyLutherToyota.com. There really is no place like home. Hi, I'm Mary T. of Mary T. Home Health. When you're faced with an illness or an injury, being able to stay at home and receive care is important. Our home health offers a wide range of services, including skilled nursing, physical, occupational, and speech therapies, AIDS, homemakers, in-home respite care, and 24-7 live-in care. We'll work closely with your primary care provider to come up with an individualized plan for you. Learn more today at MaryTInc.com. July is the annual storewide sale at Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces. Come see our diverse selection of wood, gas, or electric fireplace products for indoor and outdoor living. And right now, Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces can assure you the best price of the season on every product in the store. Let Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces help you choose and experience the joy of sitting by a fire. Summer is a great time to install your fireplace. You can find your perfect fireplace and have it installed and ready before the cold weather hits again. If you already have a wood fireplace, consider a fireplace insert. Come and see the entire selection at Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces on East Franklin and Riverside in Minneapolis. They will create a fireplace that works for you. Efficient, clean burning, and environmentally smart. Woodland Stoves and Fireplaces, since 1977, out of the ordinary products and services to make fire work for you. With a look at your AM 950 weather, I'm Patrick Lilia. A slight chance of showers and storms tonight with a low of 65, then sunshine on Saturday with a high of 83. Get paid to upgrade. Warner Stellion will buy your appliance for $50 during our trade-in sale. No one else saves you more time from shopping to free professional delivery like Warner Stellion. Put us to the test. Shop Minnesota family-owned warnerstellion.com. Hi, I'm Jane Fonda, and you're listening to Native Roots Radio. And we're back to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake, and this is Robert Pilot. Hey, welcome back to Native Roots Radio Presents. I'm awake, and I'm your host, Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by Howling for Wolves, protecting wolves for future generations. Oh. oh, hey, we're gonna uh, get back to State Senator uh, Mary Kunish here in a moment, but I want to Wendy to jump in here uh, when we get a second here. Wendy's uh, animal advocate, and she uh, has been uh, my uh, rock here on the show for the last six years, and she brings up our sacred animal portions of the show. So, hey, uh, let's uh, take a quick listen to uh, Wendy's report. Take it away. Thank you, Robert. As always, thank you very much. Hey, everybody. My name is Hanaji Hihani. That means cares for them. I was given that name by my Dega Curtis, 
Curtis goes by Mashke Hanajingo, which means walks on white clouds. I'm a humane policy volunteer leader at the Humane Society of the United States, and I work on animal issues at the local and state level. And it's always my pleasure to do that. Um, today, I want to talk to you about how you can get involved in getting in touch and engaged with your local officials, uh, your city council members, your house representative, and your senators, um, in order to help animals, or for anything that matter, really. So um, I'm going to start at the beginning. You know, I've always loved animals. Uh, as a small child, I always loved animals, and I always had pets when I was a kid, and I always loved them very much. And as a young adult, I volunteered walking dogs at the local shelter, cleaning kitty litter, uh, helping with uh, cat and dog adoptions. It was always uh, fun to do, but it was also hard. At times, it was really hard. Um, you know, I remember seeing dogs coming in that were abused, and it was really hard to see. Um, you know, I remember a, a woman who surrendered her cat because she was redecorating her house and the cat didn't match anymore. So she wanted to get rid of her cat and get a cat that matched her new de decor. So really early on, I saw a lot of um, unbelievably horrific things that people could do. Um, but uh, Robert and I, we got married uh, 22 years ago, the end of June, and uh, I would think it was in September, Robert and I were coming home, driving down the highway, and we needed cat food. We had a cat at home who was my cat, Clyde, and we stopped into a pet store. Uh, we, pe we stopped into the pet store, and while we were there, we saw these two little chihuahua puppies that were for sale, and Robert said to me, hey, Wendy, you know, I had a chihuahua named Peanuts when I was a kid, and I said... You're kidding. I had a chihuahua too. Her name was Gigi. So we started talking about uh, our chihuahuas when we were kids. And lo and behold, we walked out of there with uh, two chihuahua puppies and a bag of cat food. So um, very shortly after that, um, I told people about our dogs and where we got them. And they were horrified. They said, are, are you kidding, Wendy? Are you an idiot? these dogs uh, originate from puppy mills and I didn't know anything about a puppy mill. In all my years of animal ad advocacy before that, I didn't know. So I quickly learned about puppy mills and the horrible conditions that the mom and dad dogs are kept in year after year. Uh, but we were able to live with Mickey and Pancho, our chihuahuas, uh, for six years, I think we had them, 16 years, and they passed away two weeks from each other. And it was really devastating. And I wanted more dogs. I cried and cried because I missed Mickey and Pancho so much. So Robert said to me, Wendy, get, get some more dogs. Let's get dogs. Uh, so I knew a friend who was rescuing animals, and fo he fostered small dogs, and I contacted him, and he had a situation where there were three dogs because a man passed away. So we ended up with the three dogs, and one of the dogs, Gracie, a little white Maltese, I've talked, um, I talked to you guys about her before in the past, uh, she... Uh, was a puppy mill breeder dog. So she was one of the mama dogs kept in the puppy mill for seven years. So she stayed there for seven years and she was bred over and over and over again. And she was kept in a cage and she never left. And somebody would come around and fill her automatic food and watering bowl. And, uh, she never went outside. She was kept in an indoor facility. It was really sad. So we got her and two other dogs. But the thing about Gracie was that she wasn't like any other dog that we've ever known because she was kept in a cage. So she didn't even know how to like walk on grass or live in a house or go for a walk. She didn't even know how to drink water from a bowl because she was kept, the water she got was in a dispenser. So she had to learn a lot. And the other two dogs 
that we got along with her uh, were taught her how to be a dog. And Gracie quickly found out what it is to live in a house and to be comfortable. Um, Gracie was the only dog, I want to tell you this too, because it astonished me and Robert as well, that she would just go outside and gaze at the sky because she was kept in an indoor facility for so long, she never saw the sky. So around this time, I was working with a state council um, director of the Humane Society of the United States, Christine, and she wanted um, my help. She asked me to help or would I be interested in working on a humane pet store ordinance in St. Paul? And I was like, yes, absolutely. Now, it kind of got me a little bit nervous because... I never did anything like that before. I never worked with my state council member on any issues, and this would have been the first thing. Um, but uh, Chris Tolbert, who was our city council member, we kind of knew him. You know, he door knocked one day when he was uh, running, and we answered the door and, and we talked to him. So we got to know him, and we would go to his town hall meetings, and we would also go to caucus, and we would see him there. So these uh, were times that he knew us. So I said, well, I think he'll at least recognize me. I know he, you know, we're not friends and he doesn't really know me very well personally, but I think that he knows who I am. So we did. We went to meet him, uh, me and a couple of other people who were in his district, and we just talked uh, to him about this issue. And he also was astonished that puppy mills existed and he was horrified. I mean, most people are horrified when they find out what kind of conditions these dogs are kept in. So anyway, he uh, said, yes, I'll help you with this ordinance. Let's work on this. And we did. And then um, there was the day that we were all testifying in front of the whole city council. And I was testifying in front of the whole city council. I'm going to tell you how nervous I was. I was so nervous. Yeah. But I just kept saying, Wendy, you're doing this for Gracie. You're doing this for Gracie. This is not for you. So just calm down. So I just did. I told Gracie's story in front of the city council. And there was a line of people who testified about the horrors of these puppy mills. And what happened was that the city council voted unanimously to pass the Humane Pet Store Ordinance in St. Paul. So that we were just thrilled. It was just so thrilling. Um, the next, now I was on a roll. I was like, okay, where else could we do this? And I just happened to know this state uh, city council member who was from Cloquet, Minnesota. She's Native American and knows Robert. And I was Facebook friends with her. And she would always post uh you know, like animal issue stuff, please adopt, do not shop. I would see a lot of her posts and like them. And I was just like, you know what? I think Sheila, Sheila Lamb from Cloquet would maybe be interested in presenting this humane pet store ordinance in Cloquet. So I contacted Sheila and she was so happy that I contacted her. And I worked with my um, state director, Christine, again. And it was during COVID and we had to um, Zoom. It was a Zoom. And I presented the, the ordinance in front of the city council of Cloquet. And they were all so happy to hear about it. And they're all animal lovers. So they passed it unanimously. <laughs> so um, and that was not even my district, you know, a lot, it wasn't even St. Paul where I live. It was a district I didn't even live in, but they felt that it was an important ordinance and they wanted to pass it. So it did, it got passed. So that's how easy it is. Um, you don't have to be an expert in any of the, um, language or the ordinance itself. You just have to care and then talk to your city council member or your house representative or your senator, whoever is going to help you with this particular issue. And um, just 
do it. And it's easy and it's fun and it's really rewarding. Um, so I just wanted to talk to you guys about that. So feel free to get in touch with your city council members if you want a humane pet store ordinance um, passed in your city. Um, just email email us at Native Roots Radio and I can help you do that. So thank you, Robert. As always, my pleasure to be able to talk about animals. Back to you. Uh, Peenagigi, Wendy, thank you so much for the report. Uh, always great to hear from you. I can't wait to see you here in a couple days. Hey, uh, up next, we're going to come back to uh, state representative, uh, excuse me, former state representative, state senator Mary Kunish here on Native Ritz Radio. We'll be right back after this short break. Please stay with us. ho Hey, Olgama, I've been hearing a lot about this term, climate justice. What is that? Climate justice is recognizing that the negative impacts of climate change don't affect all people equally. It also means transitioning from a fossil fuel-based economy to a more sustainable future. MN350 is one of the groups that's pushing for this transition to protect our futures. You can even get involved, too. That's great, especially since I'm concerned about pipeline projects like Line 3. How can I help MN350? Just find them on Facebook or visit mn350.org. Hey, this is Robert Pilot. I taught in St. Paul Public Schools for over 25 years, and I want you to join the team and make a difference in our children's future. Right now, St. Paul Public Schools is offering hiring and retention bonuses up to $10,000 for a variety of teaching and classroom support positions for the next school year. Grow in a supportive and fulfilling public school setting. Limited bonuses are available, so don't delay. Apply at SPPS.org slash careers. The Powderhorn Art Fair is returning to Powderhorn Park to celebrate its 32nd anniversary, August 5th and 6th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. each day. The fair will feature a vibrant and diverse selection of art from over 150 exhibiting artists from across the country. Whether you're just starting an art collection or a seasoned buyer, they'll have the perfect piece for you. Plus, there's more. Immersive art installations offer fairgoers a chance to explore interactive experiences that transport them into an artist's vision. In addition to all the fantastic art, over a dozen food vendors serving up sweet and savory delights will be ready for you and other hungry fairgoers. A family zone will offer creative activities for kids of all ages and entertainment each day. The fair and activities are free to attendees. Make plans to head to Powderhorn Park on August 5th and 6th. Learn more at PowderhornArtFair.com. This is uh, Leonard Peltier. I am in uh, Coleman 1, U.S. Penitentiary, and I'm listening to Native Roots Radio. And we're back to Native Roots Radio Presents I'm Awake, and this is Robert Pilot. Hey, welcome back to Native Ritz Radio Presents I'm Awake, and I'm your host, Robert Pilot. This portion of the show is supported by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Say, uh, we got State Senator Mary Kunish on here, and I just want to give a quick shout out to Wendy. What a great segment, Pina Gigi Wendy, and I'll be seeing you in a couple days. I'm excited. Hey, State Senator, welcome back after a year a short little break there and uh, listening to Wendy. Uh, we're going to end up here. I, I want, you know, and I always remind myself when I hear uh, Wendy's voice is that I always ask the guests what they want to talk about. She always yeah. tells me that. So with this last uh, quick segment, this little nine, 10 minute segment, what would you like to talk about? 
Well, um, I want to ask for some help from our constituents out there in Minnesota. Uh, We need some folks to uh, sign up and volunteer to serve on a board as a a board and a commission. Um, It is the reward account for information on missing and murdered Indigenous relatives. There's an advisory group. And um, it's newly established. Uh, Representative Koslowski and I passed bills this year to create this reward fund um, to provide incentive for information leading to the arrest or the conviction um, on cases that are involving our uh, missing or murdered Indigenous women and girls and two-spirit, but also, you know, when our men and our boys go missing too, um, this would be an opportunity to use that. And uh, I think we have heard time and time again for the last six years or so how our Indigenous women and girls and Two-Spirit folks face violence at alarming rates, and and it continues. So this past year uh, session, uh, Senator, excuse me, Representative Koslowski and I uh, put together a reward fund uh, to be housed in our missing and murdered Indigenous relatives office uh, within that whole. Um, and and um, what we need now is to have people to serve on that so that when um, when it's um, being allocated, um, those dollars, you know, are going out in a good way and that we have people that will sit on that board and decide you know, what are the guidelines? What are the payment look like? How can the office use those, those dollars to do the work that they need to do? And so we are looking for, um, folks to sign up to be on that commission. You can go to, um, the Secretary of State's office, office of the Minnesota Secretary of State. Um, <clears throat> and look for, um, I just put it in the, uh, in the chat there, maybe um, you can get that out to the people. And um, uh, we really do need other folks to to serve on that as well. And some of those dollars that um, that are going to come be put into that reward fund will come from a license plate, plate an MMIR license plate that will be coming out in January here in Minnesota. There are a couple of our tribes have their own, but this is one that will be available to all Minnesotans. They pay a fee and then a large portion of that fee will go into this fund and it will help to maintain that fund and the office. And um, we need, we need people to volunteer, but you know, I would suggest anyone and everyone listening here in Minnesota pay attention to the Secretary of State's Office of Commissions. There are so many commissions that we need help with, <clears throat> you know, opioids, education, um, the new emblem and flag for Minnesota. I think that one is closed. I mean, there are just tons of them that are always available and keep your eyes open. You can get reminders and uh, it's just a really great way to be a participant and have a voice in what happens in Minnesota. Well, that's a great idea. I'm going to look that up and uh, register for something. Not that I don't have enough time. What, uh, so how many people are you looking for or is there a lot of people? Is there uh, any compensation? How, do you know anything of, about that? Um, I do believe that um, there there is, they don't like pay you, give you a stipend for your time, but oftentimes they will reimburse you for gas and mileage. If you come from a distance and you have to stay overnight, mm-hmm. um, they would, might pay for your hotel. Uh, some of the committees um, also provide funds, like if you have to pay a babysitter to watch your kids so you can attend. We wanted to uh, uh, look at all the different things, the barriers that might keep a person from participating. And so um, so all of those um, those little things might be part of one of the committees that you decide that you might be interested in. Um, it's uh, uh, it's it's uh, a pretty interesting um 
task. Yeah. So there's they, they're looking for representatives from the tribes. They're looking for um, uh, adv- those that work in ad- advocacy and counseling for Indigenous women and children um, who have perhaps been victims themselves. Uh, we're looking for statewide or local organizations that provide those services already to Indigenous women and girls. We need um, tribal police officers yeah. um, who work on reservations to be part of this team. Um, we're looking for somebody who has or serves on the Minnesota Human Trafficking Task Force, um, survivors or family members of, of missing and murdered Indigenous um, folks. And the, the, they serve for four years and... Um, uh, you know, there's just there's a lot of opportunity here um, for these these folks on this committee. So they'll determine the eligibility and criteria and procedures for granting the rewards. Um, just work with the Office of Missing and Murdered Indigenous Relatives and the Executive Director Juliet Green, uh, Ju- Juliet Rudy. Um, she is building just the most incredible team mm. uh, in that office. It's 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 amazing. She's got three fabulous staff members, and I think were we talking about data and the necessity for uh, data sharing? That's something that we have to work on because I don't think that office is getting the. Um, access to the the data that they need to really do their job because they're not they're not a um, you know they're not an official mm. I don't know a law enforcement agency and right. so we really have to be careful of course how and what data is being shared and and who's using that for what reason but um, there's just that office is really quite incredible. And of course we were the first and maybe the only one in the nation. So folks are watching to see how this works and, and how they can do it in their own state. Yeah, they definitely are. And I know uh, by talking to people and uh, there's a couple of legislators from Ho-Chunk that are on the task force in uh, Wisconsin and uh, you know, they're trying to make things happen there. Uh, it's an uphill mm-hmm. battle, you know, a lot of times with the Republicans and, uh, but yeah, great work. I mean, great work on this and great work on everything that's been happening. We are the jewel of the United States with the trifecta. I think, uh, we've gotten so much great bills passed and, uh, and it's all because you guys have the tenacity and, and, uh, and kept on running and not been discouraged. I know, you're always positive, but sometimes we've talked in the years past when uh, when there was more Republicans in the Senate, and it, it, I just thought, gosh, this has got to be draining, and mm-hmm. really, and 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 now you've been able to really do all these bills. Yeah, and now we have to sort of look and see what do we need to continue working on? How do we adjust the bills that we did that maybe need tweaking? So there's still plenty of work to do. And um, I know that we're all up to the task. Right on. Hey, we're with State Senator Mary Kunish. Pini Gigi, thank you. Thank you, Wendy, for your segment, uh, your Sacred Animal segment. Thank you, Haley, as always, for producing the show. If you're listening to the show, you're part of the resistance from Chief Plenty Coops. The ground on which we stand on is sacred ground. It is the blood of our ancestors. We need to resist, divest, join a group, run for office. We're, We're still here. We are the seventh generation. Frady Leonard Peltier. Now. Now. Thank you.